Shalom everyone, I'll be reading to you from the latest Points to Ponder column, this time for the Torah portion of Terumah in the book of Exodus. The title is Infinity in a Box. If God is everywhere, why does he insist on dwelling in a particular place? God is infinite. The whole world is filled with his presence and no place is void of him. His holy name suggests the words was, is, and will be. He is the place of the world, and the world is not his place. It is forbidden to capture him in a statue or an image. So where on earth did the strange idea of building him a tabernacle, in Hebrew it's called a mishkan, literally a dwelling place, where does this idea come from? Can you squeeze infinity into a box? Interestingly, the people in charge of building both the tabernacle and the holy temple asked the very same question. In his speech at the inauguration of the holy temple, King Solomon said, But will God really dwell on the earth? Even the heavens, to their uttermost reaches, cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? Kings 1, 8, 27. King Solomon's question was never answered, but the Jewish sages placed his perplexity in the mouth of Moses, the builder of the original tabernacle and the precursor of the temple. And there they also offered an answer to the question. So goes the Midrash. When the Holy Blessed One said to Moses, they should make me a temple, Moses said, Master of the universe, it is written in the verse by Solomon, so this is much, many, many years in the future, but the sages are sort of retroactively putting it in the mouth of Moses, because he really has the same question. So, master of the universe, it is written, behold, the heavens to its uttermost reaches cannot contain you, and you say they should make me a temple? The Holy Blessed One replied, Moses, it is not as you think. Put 20 boards in the north, 20 in the south, 8 in the west. This is the details of constructing the tabernacle. And furthermore, I will descend and contract my presence below in the Holy of Holies. The question that Moses and King Solomon posed is asked by anyone who senses God's infiniteness and therefore fails to understand how is it possible to contain him in a finite and limited structure. And this question is actually wider than it appears. It, it doesn't only apply to the tabernacle or the temple. It applies to every kind of revelation of God that manifests itself in specific details and not other details. For example, the fact that God chose one nation and not other nations. The fact that he reveals himself in a particular language, Hebrew, not other languages. The fact that he wants to be, he wants to sanctify one land uh, as opposed to other lands. The fact that he um, wants to give one Torah, not in all kinds of Torahs in other languages. The fact that this Torah contains one set of commandments that has a particular number, it's 613. All this specificity seems so totally at odds with the concept of an infinite, abstract, all encompassing, omnipresent, God. So, 
they all beg the same question. Why this particular thing and not that? How is it possible to sanctify specific details when no finite framework will ever be able to contain the infinite? Now, a trace of an answer can be found in God's response to Moses in the Midrash. It is not as you think. This answer is a variation on the well-known verses from the book of Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not mine. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9. Now, the verse speaks interestingly about thoughts and ways in the plural. This suggests that there are at least two types of thoughts and ways um, that characterize humanity and that both fail to grasp or capture the full extent of the wonder of godliness. So we can try and um, assume or contemplate uh, what these two types are. So we can say that the first type of thought, that's pretty simple, is, we can call it, generally speaking, idolatrous thought. Idolatry seeks to capture godliness in a statue or an image, to give it a face, and even grant it facial features. It wants to concretize and anthropomorphize the divine. It wants to take this divine being that's infinite, that's abstract, and try and... Uh, put it in a in human form or in something that we can relate to, and it makes it too concrete. It's called in Hebrew hagshama. You make it you make it gashmi. You make it physical. We want to take it and and make it fit human measure. In a certain sense, idolatry seeks to create God this time in the image of man instead of acknowledging that we were created in the image of God. We're trying to recreate Him in our image and fit Him into our sets of expectations. And this is idolatrous thought. And this is clearly the main thing, the first thing that God is telling us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. You think in very human, small terms and, and with human, you know, human size, even the, uh, um, your sense of proportion and, the, and, and your sense of your, your need to have concrete images. All this is yours, not mine. I'm far above, as the heavens are higher than the earth, I am above this kind of mundane earthly thinking. Now, all this is just one type of thought. What about the other type of thought? It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, in the plural. So there has to be like another kind of thought that we wouldn't maybe think of immediately that seems to capture godliness, but then God says, no, 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 it's also not what I think. I don't think as you think, Moshe. So the second kind of thought of thought is... Um, uh, the opposite of idolatrous thought. We can call this intellectual thought. This is the thought that Moshe had when he said, you are the master of the universe, you are everywhere, you're omnipresent, why do you want the temple? And God told him, no, 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 that thought I also reject, I also brush it away. Um, and and what is the problem with this one? So we can say this, we can say that intellectual thought is the polar opposite of idolatrous thought. It doesn't concretize, concretize divinity, Quite the opposite, makes it very, very abstract. It says it's completely above everything. It doesn't diminish or contract or make godliness small. Quite the opposite, it makes God the biggest thing in the world. That's what Moshe is saying. You're bigger than everything. It doesn't anthropomorphize God. 
Quite the opposite. It makes it something that we humans can never fully understand, something that is above everything else. Nevertheless, God is not satisfied with this thought. He says to Moshe, to Moses, It is not as you think, Moses. I do want a tabernacle. So how can this be? Why does God push away this more lofty, abstract, uh, uh, developed, evolved, high sort of thought? So we need to say that this second kind of intellectual thought, it comes from the higher levels, the higher layers of man, our more cognitive, uh, abstract uh, faculties that don't see things as they are. They try to extrapolate what's going beyond them. They try to think about the causes. They try to think about general patterns. They, they go from the concrete to the abstract and from the, from the particular to the general. And so this is a very high part of us. It's a, it's a high layer within humanity, but it is still a human thought. We humans, when we're less developed and so to speak childish or idolatrous, then we're very much immersed in the details, and this is why pagans try to imagine gods in their own image. And then as we mature and we develop science and philosophy and music and, and abstract thinking, then uh, we start looking down upon small and insignificant details. And we view any sort of over, or being overly interested in these details as something belittling, as something, um, in Hebrew we say, katnuni, that you're... Uh, you're too much uh, obsessed about the details. This is also a human kind of thought. It's a human presupposition that details are external or unimportant or uh, you can do away with them. And the important thing is theology and spirituality and philosophy and abstract ideas. Um, so we see the abstract and general as superior to the concrete and specific. But who says they are? If an infinite and unlimited creator so desires, he can dwell even in small and specific things. He can say, I can be both uh, into very big and abstract things, and I can also be fond of something in particular. And if he really is above all human assumptions and presuppositions, we can also assume he's above our own preference for abstraction and general thinking, uh, generalizing. The Kabbalist, Rabbi Meir Ibn Gabay, put this in a beautiful way, and he said the following, If you say that God has power only in the unlimited realm, that is the realm of the abstract and the general, and not in the limited realm, that is the realm of the tangible and the specific, then you take away from God's completeness. You, you, make it, you make him less perfect. Why? Because perfection and loftiness isn't just being about unlimited abstract general things. It's being unlimited. And if you're saying, God, I want you to be this abstract universal being. I want you, I, this, I refuse to, agree, to accept the notion that you may have an interest in particular details then without noticing it, you're limiting God. You're, you're telling God he can't get involved in particular details because that's below him. But you, who are we to tell God what he can or cannot be above or below? Right? That's the idea. Okay, so let's go on. So God can dwell in details. 
and not just in the realm of abstract ideas. But still, why would he choose certain particular details, this dwelling, this dwelling place in that land, etc.? Why not dwell in all details equally? So the English poet William Blake, he expressed this idea. He wrote very beautifully, very famous poem, one of the most famous poems in English. He wrote about how divine infinity dwells in every tiny little detail in creation. And the first verse, the first lines of this poem go like this. To see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wild flower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. If we go with this line of thinking, it's very beautiful, then what happens is that every little flower, every little grain of sand, every moment, is like a tabernacle for God. And, and it's true, it is a tabernacle for certain aspects of God. If you look at a grain of sand and you go deep into it in a flower and, and you feel the moment and you, and you look at a little cloud, whatever it is, you can feel divine presence. But then if, if that's enough for us, then we don't need a tabernacle or a particular manifestation or commandments or the letters of the Torah or anything that has any particular specifics in it that, that certain details become holier than other details. This we, we wouldn't want to have because we want him, we want God to be present in all details equally. So, um, it's it's in it's it's very sort of tempting to take this approach, but here we get to the deepest point of all. According to Blake's approach, if we adopt it, God resides in details, but He resides in all details equally. So, in a way, such a descent into the world of particulars it doesn't really go the distance. It doesn't go all the way into sanctifying the world of details, the world of particulars. Why? Because if it's present in all particulars, then it's present in the, in the, particular, in the realm of particulars in a very general way. It's present in the realm of the specific in a very all-encompassing way that doesn't, um, it, it, um, doesn't elevate one particular thing over another. In a way, if you a true jump, a true descent into the world of details, will penetrate it with all its specificity, i.e., it will prefer one thing over another. There's something beautiful about God being everywhere. There's something very beautiful also about God being in all little details. And there's yet another beauty that we can't withhold from God. We can't tell Him not to have that beauty if he so desires, which is the beauty of being in a one particular place more than you are in other places. So God is present everywhere. But he says, I want you to build me to build me a tabernacle. And I want to give you a specific Torah in a specific language with specific details that, that are in a specific number. And all of these things, because there's something, there's another added layer or dimension of beauty that comes from being more present and more revealed in one detail over another detail. That, that means that there, God is in all details in the world, in nature, in clouds, and in flowers, and in grains of sand. But it, there's something about all these things that they only manifest 
again, his general countenance, his um, something a little bit indifferent about it. And the aspect of God that is personal, that is uh, that has something akin to human characteristics that we can relate to, will be manifested in particular details and only those particular details. There's something, again, it, 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 there's something more whole, just like Rabbi Meir Ibn Gabay said. If you say he's only in the general, not in the particular, you take away from his wholeness, from his completeness. There's something more whole if he's both, both everywhere and also in one place in particular. So when God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, he wants to shatter both kinds of presuppositions that we have, both kinds of thoughts, both the idolatrous materializing one and the intellectual abstracting one. He shows us that he can be both everywhere and in one specific place. So can you squeeze infinity into a box? No. But a truly boundless infinity can be simultaneously both outside all boxes and inside a particular one. Hi everyone and thanks for watching. If you like this video, please leave a comment. I'd like to hear what you think. Also like, subscribe to the channel, share the video with your friends. And if you want to help me make more videos, please consider becoming a supporter via Patreon. You can find the link in the description below. Thank you.